I would be very skeptical to think that that route would ever be built for a heavy rail corridor, and that's because there's just no value in doing so. Welcome to Imbi. Are you more of a NIMBY, not in my backyard, or a YIMBY, yes in my backyard? Well, I'm sure it all depends. I'm Rachel Sturgis, and in this brand new podcast from Unihunger FM, I'm taking a look at infrastructure projects being planned in my backyard. In this final episode of the season, we'll take a look at the corridor of land set aside for heavy rail in Onihanga. After consultation with the community, Auckland Light Rail has scrapped that proposed route. But since I recorded the interviews in this podcast, the government has announced it's planning to revive the heavy rail route, making use of that land anyway. Despite this, Matt Lowry from Greater Auckland says he stands by his comments about the rail corridor and his words may still turn out to be right. So, what would freight trains coming through our backyard mean for residents, schools and businesses and the manner of the land? Yeah, there's an existing rail corridor that, that exists through Onihanga and up alongside State Highway 20 from Hillsborough through there. That was designated back in the 1940s. Matt Lowry is well acquainted with Auckland's heavy rail history and he has some interesting views about the corridor through Onihanga. And the intention of that was to, to bypass you know, the, the central city area for, for rail. This is you know, designated at a time before all the motorways were even thought of um, and before the, most of the development in, these, in the area occurred. Obviously there's some in Onihanga, but most of the area was, was open farmland and the situation we essentially seem to be in is that um, key rail sort of in a use it or lose it situation. It's not not that they're going to lose the designation, but they if they don't do anything to protect it, it will be chipped away at, by other projects. Right. And so they want someone to invest and build it. Ah, so that's why they were keen to partner up with Auckland Light Rail to use the existing heavy rail line through Anihanga. The reality is it will never be built. Uh, I, I would be very sceptical to think that that route would ever be built for a heavy rail corridor, and that's because there's just no value in doing so. Because back when it was when it was thought of, you know, most of that that part of Auckland was undeveloped, most of the west of Auckland was undeveloped, and it was about a way of getting freight trains from the south, avoiding the hills that the, the you know relatively decent incline through to through to Ringarera and Newmarket, mm. and getting up to the northwest, out to the northwest, and up to the north. The reality is these days there are only a handful of freight trains that currently use that route. Now, maybe that would change if the port situation changed. But but even if that did happen, the reality is that during the day, the Western Line is going to be busy with commuter traffic. There's not going to be capacity to put a bunch of freight trains through there to, to need to bypass Newmarket. The only time there'll be a time available will be at night. Mm. And at that time, the miles will just travel through there because there's no trains through Newmarket at that time anyway. So there's no justification for building that route through Onihanga as it is now. And plus, you've got the issue of how do you actually build it, given there'll be significant opposition from people within Onihanga to have it built. Mm. You'd have to build you know, very expensive trenches, there's a lot of noise proofing, and all these other things that go on with it, which makes it very expensive. So what we're essentially seeing happen is Kiwarao trying to protect their corridor that they have designated. And even if we were to build it, there's not really going to be much value in them using it. But what they're trying to desperately do is trying to avoid losing the designation and they're trying to hold on to it as much as they can. I introduced Paul and Echo Janman in an earlier episode. Just to recap, 
They're local residents who run the Unihunger People's Garden, which happens to be on a pocket of Kiwi Rail land. They're passionate about Unihunger and the green spaces that the corridor provides, and they're determined to protect it. Echo founded the garden in 2013. I'm originally from the United States. Um, so, yep. Yeah. So when I first arrived in New Zealand, it was about reorienting myself to the natural ecology of this place and my new home. And so, yeah, heavily invested in understanding botany and, and have always had a passion for landscape and place mm. and community. That's really kind of where, I, where I operate from. And as Paul said, we're also quite interested and passionate about, you know, what Onihanga is, how it was founded and really love our home and the history that surrounds us. The Onihanga People's Garden has existed as open land, as green space in Onihanga for a very long time. We're certainly not the first ones to be able to observe and appreciate that and be able to participate that. There have been generations in our area that have explored that and developed it in different times and different stages. It's been a dump at various times we found you know, evidence of pottery from, you know, 100 years ago that certainly reflect the development of Onihonga as one of the original ports of Auckland. And that certainly got our interest peaked in the history and the value of this place in our community. Um, Kiwi Rail own it, and it's also partially owned by Lens, Land Information New Zealand. Right. It's part of the Kiwi Rail Corridor, which was established a very long time ago to provision some rail land that would cut across the Tamaki Isthmus. So if you look from Google Maps, you can see a number of green spaces that run right across the Tamaki area that provide both bird corridors, green spaces for our communities, spaces for our schools, and of course, our natural habitats for bird and wildlife in our area as well as mitigating runoff into the Monaco Harbour. So what did you both think when you heard about the possibility of the land being used to build a heavy rail route? You must have been horrified. I don't think it was news. I mean, the, the rail land has been bought and allocated for quite a long time. You know, if you have an interest in property in the landscape of Onihanga and the Tamaki Isthmus, you'll see that that rail corridor is, is part of our landscape as well. And it provides all sorts of amenity for us. I think for me, when we first saw the land being kind of scraped away by bulldozers as a way to manage, you know, invasive plant species and to maintain the site and seeing more and more invasive plant species coming in and less and less biodiversity, it, it kind of sparked our interest in wanting to create a space that would be able to be retained as a green space um, and we went through some consultation with the support of the uh, Mongokiki Tamaki local board at the time to undertake some consultation with the community that was a decade ago and that consultation kick-started us to help to shape what the purpose and intent and the vision was for the community garden as a green space as a place for native reforestation a natural habitat, providing areas of safe play for families and children to be able to explore the natural environment. So that was really exciting to see that the community wanted that kind of natural environment and natural habitat restoration and to be able to see opportunities for 
other plantings and and kind of biodiversity in the space as that space has grown. And you get a lot of um, you you involve the the uh, community, don't you? you? Have planting days, um, and the schools, the local schools, they all have sort of eco programs. Yeah, it's the long game, isn't it? Yeah, so I mean, it's a natural habitat. It's a restoration project. It's about mitigating runoff, storm, and it's about education for the community, both around you know biodiversity, stream water quality, you know, and and how we in an urban environment can contribute to a healthier city by supporting biodiversity. So tell me about um, what sort of uh, native plants there were before you actually um, started doing your own planting. When we started off on this project, we did an environmental scan to see how many native plant species there were in the site. There were two. One was a carex grass, which survives in the kind of marshlands that are in the middle part of the, the site. And there was one very juvenile cabbage tree. Every other species that was in the site was an exotic species. And most of them are highly invasive species as well. We've since, over the last 10 years, planted over 6,000 native plants, and that biodiversity is continuing to increase. And we do a, um, a genetic scan of the stream in collaboration with Onihanga High School. That scan has shown up a broad range of different species and we're continuing to monitor the biodiversity of the site as we see more different kinds of plants and animal life thriving in that space, which is super exciting. So we've done exercises mapping the native species in the outlying area. We do work with the local schools, which has been fantastic. And as the garden has grown, it's become much more visible as a native forest. And we are starting to see new species come into the area, native species, plant species that we haven't planted. So that's really exciting too. So it's doing what we hoped it would, which is creating its own ecology and it's reflecting the natural environment of our Onihanga area, which is super cool. It is super cool. It's great. I mean, I've always thought it's a wonderful resource um, when I visited. It's been amazing. So you found artifacts from about 100 years ago, but how did you come about your latest historical findings? So I guess we were interested in connecting with the Onihanga Historical Society anyway, and I just looked up a few reports that are available online. There's a standard Auckland Council Onihanga Heritage Report. And uh, looking through that, I noticed a couple of little details there about Horns Lane and the Forbes Hotel down there and the fact that there was a relationship between the Forbes family and Potato Te Whero Whero, who was the first Maori king. And um, just noticed in the footnotes there that he moved away from that Forbes Hotel and was up in the site above the swamp, apparently. Um, and because the place of the location of Onihunga People's Garden is a floodplain, it's basically a, a spring waterway that's been a, a wetland area for a long time. Um, of course, some of those streams have been put underground but, you know, it it, uh, it all chimed together with some other references that I found about 
John Logan Campbell, who came down with business partners after he was doing work with Takawa Apihai, who was the Natifatua Rangatira of the area. And uh, he noticed some really beautiful fresh stream water coming down there into the lagoon. Right. So I, I put all these things together and just made an inference, really, that Te Whiru Whiru might have built his whare up on the grassy knoll at the end of Matiari Road. And Mivanwi um, Eves, who's the Auckland Council archaeologist, chimed in on that and said it sounded right. So I went up there and I did an overlay of a picture of the site that I thought it was uh, and a 19th century sort of watercolour painting of the house. And it turns out that they match up. So there was this background of Mangari Mountain and the Monaco Harbour and it just seemed like yeah the overlay worked. So what happened next Paul? The next step obviously was to talk to an archaeologist so we uh, contacted Hans Dieter Bader who was an archaeologist who works with a lot of iwi all over Auckland, Tamaki, Makoto and into Waikato and well all over the place. He's very experienced and he did an electromagnetic scan of the site, which was fascinating. And, you know, he discovered all kinds of really interesting details and he could interpret it for us. So we've seen that, you know, my photographic overlay uh, has been corroborated by an actual scan of the subsurface. So we can see a kind of a corner of a foundation there. So it's not conclusive by any means, but there'll be a, a number of people who'd be really interested in knowing about that and investigating it further with more archaeological techniques. I suppose when you you said that you did a submission for the Auckland Night Rail project, well, it would have been the historical and ecological side of it. Tell Tell me the main points that you had in that. I guess the main points were the intertwining of the ecological mission with the historical discoveries and the educational potential of it all, as well as, you know, rehabilitating ecologically the site, but also rehabilitating the knowledge of the local neighbourhood as to the history of the site. So, you know, the fact that these histories and ecologies can go together quite nicely, um, yeah, it just it just underlined everything that we were, I think, trying to do in terms of looking at the stream and the water quality and, and reimagining, I suppose, someone as important of an ariki as Portato uh, Te Whero Whero, you know, being there and drinking from those streams and I'm sure strategically placing his, his whare right there because of the quality of the water and, you know, the mana that the area had and has. So I guess, yeah, I guess that's, the gist of it, we just outlined a few of those facts, but also we talked a lot about the the level of engagement that the community has made, the local neighbours and the investment that they've made of their time and effort and, you know, the, the importance of that the site has for people that it didn't have before when it was merely a, you know, a piece of wasteland or a designated rail link or... It was a dumping site, unfortunately. That's not always been the case. And I think on our website, we outlined quite a few of the moments or significant sort of watershed periods of the site. 
when it was better valued or or it was considered a reserve of a different kind. So it's pretty significant, isn't it, in relation to ecology and climate change? So recently in Auckland history, we've experienced some extreme weather events. These weather events have caused some severe damage to people's lives, people's homes, people's communities. What we saw and what we experienced in the Onihunga People's Garden, it is a catchment area. There is, as Paul alluded to earlier, there's a stream that runs through, there's fresh water that rises when the water table rises and seasonally. And the stream that runs through the site continuously has uh, eel and trout and all sorts of native species that are living in that space. It's culverted out into the Manukau Harbour. It's a big pipe. And we know that daylighting streams creates awareness around water quality and our opportunity to be able to impact that positively. And the recent weather events that we experienced in Auckland earlier this year, the Onihunga People's Garden was full up to about a foot of going over Arthur Street and creating a deluge back out into the Monaco Harbour, which would have severely impacted a number of homes Mm. further downstream. It would have damaged the roads. It would have caused some serious impact to our community. I think we fully expect that these extreme weather events won't stop, that we'll anticipate seeing more. And I think what we observed in the recent one was that the mitigation of putting in those established native species that are used to dealing with having their feet wet um, or planted uh, according to the ecology of the space, we're able to mitigate both the flow and to absorb and uptake the water so that it reduced the impact or the potential impact into our community. So again, you know, when you make one step and you start to concrete and we see, we're seeing more and more in the built space in Onihonga, the more that we protect these green spaces and the more that we make sure that they're retained and able to hold natural changes and climate changes, I think the safer it makes us as a community. So I think, yeah, it's, it's just really important to see the overall opportunity for us to retain these green spaces which I think have been gifted to us by Kiwi Rail. You know, they've they've held these in trust for future, and it's now it's now up for our community to see and to make a decision about what that looks mm. like for the future. It's a reality now that we're getting great big rainfalls, and our landscape is is being affected greatly by it, isn't it? Even from five years ago, say. Yeah. Um. Well, sea level yes. is rising. Yeah. So the the water table is rising and we are seeing more extreme weather events. You know, there'll be structural changes that we need to adapt to where we have built. There'll be cultural, social changes that we'll need to implement, regulation changes that we'll need to implement. But if we continue to build over the green spaces, our green spaces are there because they help to hold the water and the water is, is part of what makes this part of our our community. So Paul mentioned before that there's a lot of things that we see on the surface. There's a lot more that exists just below. Really exciting to see our 
our schools and our youth actively engaged in that and understanding what lies beneath you know what we see from the street side and being actively engaged in helping to maintain and preserve that space for us. I had absolutely no idea about all of this and um, what's concerning is that it's um, seriously in danger of being built over again with a new railway line. The opportunity really is in an aspirational space is to be able to make sure that this space is retained for our community and the the view when you walk out on the knoll at the end of Matierridor Road, which is, again, if you look at the old maps and in the development of Onihanga, it is one of our first roads and one of the first parts of Onihanga that was developed as you come down Monaco Road to the harbour. The view as you look out to Mangare Mountain and back to Mangwakiki is, is just stunning. And, you know, to be able to... to hold that space for our community in perpetuity for our children, our children's children, our Mokapuna and on to be able to experience that space, I think is a treasure for us to all want to respect and to love. And I would really hope that we're able to continue that story and provide that space safely for our community and and those that are able to see that into future generations. I totally agree. And I think you guys would have been around when they were looking at building the east-west link motorway from um, Onihanga along the Mangari Inlet through to Penrose. And, you know, the Onihanga community really got together and said, you're not going to destroy our community again. You know, State Highway 20 was already built through you know, slicing through the access between Anihanga and the foreshore. And there was mitigation in that, you know, with the foreshore being reclaimed and and made beautiful again. But it used to be a seaside town. It was such a sort of a, a bounty of fishing and natural waters coming through and springs. That's why Māori came here. It's what we love about living in Onihanga, isn't it? We're a seaside community. <laughs> so, you know, let's let's make sure that we see the water uh, and let's make sure that we protect our natural environment. Well, that was the last episode in this, our very first season of Imbi. I hope you found all four episodes as thought-provoking and interesting as I did, and maybe even learnt some stuff along the way. Thanks so much for your time and interest. And if you've got a few minutes to leave a review on Apple and share it with a neighbour or two, we'd really appreciate it. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and you'd like to reach out, I'm available on at Rach Sturge on Facebook, Instagram and X, formerly known as Twitter. Or you can email me on rachel at unihanger.fm. I'd like to thank everybody that joined me to share their views and a big shout out to the Mangakiakia local board who funded the creation of this season.